message theme today that I'm excited about called Red, White, and Who. Everybody say it with me. Red, White, and Who. Been excited about this one. As we lead up uh, into our elections, we lead up into what I believe is a pivotal time in our nation. I felt like it was important for us to take some time and talk about who we are, what God's called us to do. And so that's what this is going to be about. How, how many of you, by a show of hands, were raised in a church where you, you were taught expository on the word? Like they, they took a chapter and they would go through it and then they would move to the next chapter. Raise your hand if that's how you were. To, okay. Well, you're going to feel at home today because that's what we're going to do today. All right. We're going to begin in the book of Ephesians. We're going to go through Ephesians 1 today. All right. So you're going to get some word today. Ephesians chapter one. Let me say something to you. Uh, I'm a pastor and it's my job to study the Bible. That's what I do. I spend the majority of my week studying for this morning, like right now. Uh, I can tell you that Ephesians has now become one of my favorite books in the Bible. It is absolutely gorgeous as a book. The writing of it, the doctrine that is in it, Matter of fact, many theologians believe that it is the highest of all the epistles in its thought process, the way that it is written. Uh, many theologians call it the queen of the epistles, the queen, the crown jewel. It's, and it's because it just takes what the church is supposed to be about, how we're supposed to be as believers and as Christians, and it just walks us through the whole thing. It's been called the queen of the epistles. And here's what I want to, here's what stood out to me. There are other theologians that say that it should be called the constitution of the church. So write that down, the constitution of the church. Now, there's not really a more fitting book for me to use for a message theme than Red, White, and Who than the constitution of the church. It's so fitting. It clearly defines who we are as a church. And so today we're going to be reading from, we're going to be studying from the first chapter of Ephesians. Before we read that, I want to just kind of set a tone of why I think this is so important. I don't think any of you would disagree with me that our country is as divided as it's ever been right now. Very divided. Uh, I was reading some statistics this past week that 84 million people watched the debates last week. 84 million. That's some of the highest that there's ever been. And yet there are 6% of people in America that are undecided. 6%. Now that doesn't sound like a lot until you realize that's 9 million people. That's all of New York and Nashville combined that still have not made up their mind. And that's just the people that are saying they're undecided. There's a whole group of other people that are still undecided. And those that aren't undecided are kind of embarrassed. You know what I mean? It's like we were talking today, kind of joking that it used to be the I voted. Everybody's proud. I think you're going to have people walking out going, yeah, but kind of like the Eeyore thing. I voted. I don't <laughs> Some of you are very staunch. Some of you believe you know who's supposed to be leading our country. Others are like, I, I don't know what's going on. And the question is, where do you stand on these issues? Where do you stand on, on security? Where do you stand on freedom? Then there's racial tension in our country right now. Where, where do you stand on all of that? What side are you on? And there's this, 
this thing, we feel torn. It's like, who am I? What am I supposed to do? Who are we as a country? What do you believe on this issue? And that's really the issue. The issue is all based on what you believe. Because how do you argue with someone? Or how do you, not argue, how do you get to any type of progress with someone that doesn't believe like you? That's the issue. You believe one thing, I believe something else. What you believe is wrong, I believe is right. What I believe is right, you believe is wrong. How in the world do you make any progress? You got different values than I have. I've got different standards than you have. How do we, what is the answer? Well, I just want to start right off by saying, and we will prove this some more in our message today, that Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the answer. But more importantly than that right now, for you and I, is not just Jesus Christ being the answer. His body, his church is the answer. I think there's a part of us that very easily say, Jesus Christ is the answer. And it kind of takes the weight off of us. But we will find today in our study that Jesus Christ is looking to you and I to help fulfill the work that he started. Look at your neighbor and say, he's going to preach to you today. And say, and to me too. So the series is Red, White, and Who, but today I want to subtitle this message, We the People. This is going to be the subtitle for this message is We the People. Because if you and I can know who we are, if you and I can know who we are, now look, I'm not talking about who you are and who I am, because that's the selfish part of us. Remember we talked about that last week, I got to know my purpose, I got to want to know me. No, I'm not talking about who you are, who, who we are. If we can figure out who we are as the church and as the body, then When you know who you are, then suddenly you know what you need to do. And more importantly, you know what you can do. When you have an understanding of who you are, who we are as the body of Christ, it's going to help you make decisions a lot faster. And it's going to also let you know what authority that you have in certain situations. So let's start. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screens today. This is a letter from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who were faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Now, let me stop right there and just leave that up, uh, Casey, if you will. That, the word Ephesus was not in the early manuscripts of this writing. You have to remember that these letters were literally letters. They were written on parchment. They were bound up, and then a messenger would take them. They didn't have to put an address on them because the messenger knew who he was taking them to, right? So the word Ephesus is literally found written in the margins of the letter later on. So a messenger was carrying it, and then at some point along the way, someone wrote this to the church of Ephesus. Now, some theologians believe that was the first time it showed up. Others believe that it, it made its way. Many theologians believe that this book was written to be read to every church in every city. It was supposed to make its way to every single church. So the word Ephesus, many, many people believe also that this could be the lost letter to the church of Laodicea. 
which is a whole other study that is powerful, incredible. Because remember, Laodicea is the last church age, which would be us right here. But that's for another sermon at another time. Verse 2, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I could just stop right there and receive that, right? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Remember, we're finding out who we are as a body, as a church. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Before he created anything, before he spoke anything out of his mouth, before the stars, before the sun, before the trees, before the plants, God, the Bible says, God loved us and God chose us. Then it says, he adopted us in advance. We have a church, in our church, there are a number of families that have adopted and, and sometimes adopted children can, can have a stigma. And they can, but here's, I always say about adopted children, you got picked. You got picked. Somebody picked you out and said, I want you. This is what happens with you and I. We were chosen by him in advance. Not like when you go to, the, to, to the, go pick out a dog, you know, and you try to find that cutest one, you know. No, sight unseen, went ahead and picked us out, and we were chosen in Christ Jesus. And that's the key to this whole thing. We were chosen in Christ Jesus. As a body of Christ, we were chosen by him in advance. I also love this. It says it's what he wanted to do. It was his, not what he had to do, How many of you know there's a difference in being wanted and being needed? There's a huge difference in that. He said, I want you. And my favorite passage in this is that it gave him great pleasure. I think many times when we think about Jesus purchasing us or God bringing us into our family, we look at the torment, we look at the torture of Jesus Christ, the beating, the crucifixion, the bleeding, and yet the scripture says it gave him great pleasure to choose us as his own. Matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, was able to go through the suffering and the shame. Pleasure. God gets pleasure out of choosing his children. Verse 6, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has, everybody say, poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Watch this. He has, say, showered, showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Aren't you glad you serve a generous God? How about the rest of y'all? You good? Aren't you glad you serve a generous God? 
that not just a little dab will do you. When in real, really, reality, one drop of his blood, just one touch of his grace would have been enough. But he didn't do that. He just poured out everything he had upon us. Didn't bleed a drop, bled out. And then the Father comes and just showers us with kindness. Showers us with wisdom. Showers us with understanding. Just pours it all out on us. Matter of fact, I read a moment ago in our, in our, in our text, verse 3, that says, We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's what God has invited us into, the relationship we have with him. How many of you love to be showered with kindness? Come on, don't you love it? We just went and did a, Chris and I went and did a, an event uh, uh, with some of our team in Memphis. And, and we showed up. And I'm telling you, I, I've traveled a lot. And, and I've, had, I've had hospitality before. But I was blown away by the hospitality. I mean, we showed up and there was a basket as big as our car in our hotel room. We're, just, we're still eating on it. It's been like a week later. We're still eating on it. I mean, it, we almost had to get a U-Haul to bring that thing home. And just gift cards and personal made like a they they, they gave they gave me this incredible Colonel Littleton knife with my monogrammed initials in it and all this that wasn't necessary. Why they showered us with kindness. Well, you know what it made me want to do? It made me want to just give my best even more so. I believe the reason God showers us with kindness, showers us with mercy, is in the hopes that we will have that same feeling of generosity when it comes to living for him and serving him. Verse 9. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And I love how Paul says this. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth. Let's stop right there. If you ever want to know what the will of God is, there you go. Everything in life comes back to this. It is God's will that everything would come under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's why when you and I make that conscious effort, we make a decision to put our lives, our hearts, our minds, our plans under the authority of God, it gives God incredible pleasure. Because this is what it's all about. And he says this, Furthermore, because we are united in Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Y'all, we're not just children of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We get to share in the inheritance of God. That's another series all in itself. That means whatever Jesus Christ had the ability to do, we have the ability to do. You and I. Anything that Jesus ever did in his earthly ministry can be found in the gifts of the Spirit. And those are ours. They're a part of our life. Everything that Jesus Christ has, we have access to. He did not just bleed and die so we could get by. You know what I mean? That kind of rhymed. I kind of like that. 
He bled, died, was resurrected so we could walk in the same authority that he walked in. He said he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. I don't know if you know this, but God does have a plan. God thinks strategically. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing. And so I think, and we get this question a lot, what, what do I do? Like, what, what, what am I supposed to do if I don't know who to vote for? What am I supposed to do if I don't understand what's... You've got to remind yourself, God's got a plan. God knows what's up. Look at this, Psalm 75 and 7. It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. Acts 17, 26. From one man... God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Romans 13 and 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So let me say something to you. Whether you are decided or undecided, whether you are embarrassed or indifferent, I'm going to tell you right now, vote your conscience, make the decision on what you feel in your heart, and then leave the rest up to God. He makes the final decision. It's our job to do what we feel like we're supposed to do, and then watch God work the thing out. Thank you for that one. I didn't say it. He said it. Do what you know to do. Do the best you know to do. Stay within the, what God is saying as a believer, as a Christian, and then watch God begin to do the work. Because I'm going to tell you what, even if the wrong person gets voted in, the Bible says he will take what was meant for evil and turn it around and use it for good. All right? God's got this thing. God's purpose, verse 12. I know you're not supposed to talk about politics or religion, and we're doing both all at the same time, okay? But I'm not critiquing your songwriting, so we'll be all right, okay? As long as you don't mess with that, everything's good. God's purpose, verse 12, was that we Jews, Paul is writing, he says that we Jews were the first to trust in God, in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now... You Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. First of all, let me jump back up to the Jews and Gentiles thing. We're going to discuss more of this next week when we dive into Ephesians chapter 2. Because he really talks about that extreme separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. And I think it's going to answer some questions for us when it comes to how divided we are as a nation. How divided we are as a church. He gets into this. So I want you to parlay that to next Next week, okay? Just shove that over. We'll get into that next week. Matter of fact, this week, if you want to do some homework, go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 2. Then you'll be fired up and ready. You can quote it with me as I read it, okay? He said, you Gentiles, I've also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee. Remember, we're talking about who we are as a church. 
who we are as the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Not only does God shower out his grace, he has shed his grace on thee. Not only does he shower out his grace and pour over us kindness and give us all spiritual blessings. On top of that, he gives us a guarantee of the Holy Spirit that we're not going to miss out on the inheritance that he has for us. A guarantee it. That's how we'd say it in the deep, deep south. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. As, as Nicole was saying it today, we all battle with this. We all battle with, am I a child of God? Am I living up to what God's called me to be? Am I, am I good enough? That's those times when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you know what you did the week before or you know what you did five minutes before and you begin to question, well, how does God see me? That's where the spirit inside of you starts going, no, 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 wait a minute. Wait just a minute. You are a child of God. Well, have I done enough to get the inheritance? Am I living right? Am I living too wrong? And that's where the spirit goes, listen to me. You'll start feeling that thing inside of you that starts saying you are a child of God. Also, there are times that you're about to do something that you know you shouldn't do. And you'll feel that thing in you go, uh-uh, what's that? That's the Spirit saying to you, you're a child of God. At this point, it's not about heaven or hell. It's about operating like a child of God should operate. Now, those of you that are raised around the Spirit-filled communities and congregations, and many of you know I was raised in a Pentecostal church, so, man, we thought the Holy Ghost was just here for chills. You know what I mean? The feel-good. Just, man, right here, ooh, yeah, I like that feeling that I get. But the Bible says the Holy that's just a part of what the Holy Spirit is. The biggest job of the Holy Spirit is to remind you you're a child of God and you've got an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Come on, let my Pentecostals say amen today. You Presbyterians, nod your head at me. Come on, just give me a good head nod. You Baptists, wake up. Come on, let's go. Everybody say guarantee. That word guarantee is also translated down payment or deposit. Our one translation says engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is an engagement ring. It is a down posit that says, I will not leave you helpless. I'm here with you. I'm walking you through this. You're not by yourself. And I'm leading you and guiding you into all truth because I want you to have the inheritance that Jesus Christ gave his life for. Just a taste. And if you... Man, don't don't you love God and love his presence and love the Holy Spirit? Don't you love that feeling that you get? That's just a taste. That's just a taste of what he has for us. Verse 15. Ever since, I read this this morning, I got teared up. Because as a pastor, this is how I feel. Paul said, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And I pray for you constantly. 
when I read that again this morning, as I was going back over it and just rereading chapter one, getting it in my spirit and my heart, I felt the same way that Paul felt. When I hear these reports of our gatherings and people's lives being changed and transformed, and I, I see what God's doing in your life, and we got texts and emails this morning from people that are on their fall breaks and on vacation, and they're sending back texts saying, I'm so thankful for what God's done in my life through this church. This is when I feel this way. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I thank God for your faithfulness. I thank God that you as a church would want to be a part of planting another church in Spring Hill. I thank God for that. Love that. And he said, I have not stopped praying for you. I pray for you constantly. And here's what he's praying. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. That's my prayer for you spiritual insight that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. Do you notice what's happening here? We're just talking about the Holy Spirit is leading us to our inheritance And yet the scripture says that we are God's inheritance. I've never thought about what God inherits because God's got everything. But he didn't have you. And you are what he wants more than anything. Write this down. Souls are God's inheritance. They're what he wants more than anything. The hearts of people the love of people, the admiration, the, the, the adoration of people. This is what God wants more than anything. I got to tell you, I'm convicted many times when I, when I feel like that we will, we'll, we keep numbers. It's what we're supposed to do. We keep numbers of attendance and how many people made fresh starts and how many people have gone through intro. But I think there are times that we can begin to kind of judge our success on that. Or, man, we're doing great as a church. And that's when I can hear the Lord say, those numbers aren't for you, son. Those numbers are for me. That's not a sign of something you're doing well. That's a sign of something I'm doing well. They're my inheritance. I was, I was convicted several months ago because I would, I would share with our team that was serving. I'm saying, you know, you're serving. And man, this many people gave their heart to the Lord. Thank you for serving. And the Lord said, you don't serve for that reason. You serve because you get to serve. That's why you serve. That's why you serve in the house of God. That's why you give. It's not so you can say, oh, we have 17 people give their heart to the Lord. Well, that's awesome, but that's not why you give and serve. That's not our reward. That's his reward. We didn't bleed and die and suffer and give our life. He did that. He gets the reward. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you are God's inheritance. How many of y'all are still believing in that rich uncle that you never knew about? Huh? Come on now. Gonna get that letter in the mail. I didn't even know. I've got this running thing that I do, and someone hears my name because Ragsdale is not that common, and they'll say, Oh, I know a Ragsdale. Do you know so and so Ragsdale? And my first question is, Are they rich? <laughs> I don't think that I don't care about knowing them then because they're probably gonna want money from me. I don't wanna know them. I've got enough Ragsdales in my life. 
you are God's inheritance. Now stop and think about that, Marsh. Think about that, man. Think about that, Ben. Who else can I pick on? Come on, coach. Think about that. That's what I'm saying. You, if that doesn't make you want to stand up strong and take care of your body and take care of yourself and live a good life, we are his inheritance. Remember, if we know who we are, we're going to know what we can do. And we're going to know what we need to do. Verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Wait just a minute. First of all, he didn't just give his life for us. He turned around then and gave his life to us. Think about that. I mean, if I died for you, I'm not going to come back and give you life again. He did. He died for us, gave his life for our sins, and then turned around and by his spirit gave us life to live. Romans chapter 8 and 11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit that resides in us is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The greatest incident in all of history. He was dead and he was alive. That same Spirit, if it dwells in you, the old translation says it will quicken your mortal bodies. Now, the old timers used to preach that men on the, on the great day of the Lord when we all go back to him. No, that's talking about every single morning. When you get up in the morning and you don't feel like going on, that Holy Spirit that's in you can quicken your mortal body. Whoop, wake up. Here we go. You're a child of God. You're a daughter of God. Let's go do this thing. How many need your mortal bodies to be quickened? I found this passage in Romans 5 and 10. This past week in the message, I actually posted it on Instagram. Let me say something. If you're not following uh, Kristen and I or following the church, I want to encourage you to do that, all right, on social media because we put things, not because we need a following, but because many times it's a precursor to what we're going to be talking about. I would recommend you doing that, all right? But listen to this. Listen to this, Romans 5 and 10 from the message. If, remember, he gave his life for us, And then gave his life, I just said it, yeah. He gave his life for us, and then he gave his life to us. Check this out. If, when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. I think some of you still see yourself as the worst. That's gone and done. His blood took care of that. It covered that. You are not the worst. You are now the best you're ever going to be until you get to heaven. Because you have the blood of Jesus covering you and the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're at your best, baby. Come on. Come on. Some of y'all didn't look at each other, much less say it. You don't even got to like them to say it to them. Say Everybody good? 
Let's close it out. It says, in this same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. I love that. Paul just tries to put it all in there. Any ruler, authority, power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. How many believe that? Come on, how many believe that Jesus Christ has been given all authority? Philippians says, because he was dead, buried, resurrected. Therefore, God has given him a name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Not just the ones in, in, in earth, but the ones under the earth. And the ones in heaven. Every single one of them are going to bow. How many believe that? You believe that? We serve a, a victorious God. Now, let me tag in, and the church is his body, and it was made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Listen to me. Jesus Christ has all authority. Jesus Christ is the answer, and we are his body. Now, I want that to sink in. For, I know we say that. We're the body of Christ. But it's almost like it's an example. No. It's a real deal. We are the living, breathing, moving, operating body of Christ. Remember the point of this entire thing. Red, white, and who? Because of his blood. Because he has made us pure and clean. Who are we? We are the living, breathing, powerful body of Jesus Christ. Once that sinks in, it changes how you feel about life. It changes how you feel about you. One of the translations that I read today, verse 23, bring that back up, would you, Casey? And the church is his body, and it's made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. One of the translations went in and did a breakdown of the the Arabic meaning of this. And this is what the writer said. He fills and completes us while we also complete him. Now, let's stop on that for just a minute. He fills... And completes you while you and I are also completing him. When Jesus Christ said, it is finished, what he said is, I'm done. <laughs> My work is done. My work is done. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, all power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Now you go, remember last week, now you go, I want you to disciple and baptize and teach and go, 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 go. I think it's so easy for you and I just to say he has all authority. He is the answer and not realize that he has given us his body all authority and he has called us to be the answer. Well, are you taking away something from Jesus? No, we're his body. Subjected underneath the head of Jesus Christ. That brain that is sending signals to his body 
And I believe for so long, the head of Jesus Christ has been sending these signals and the body's been sending them back up. When God, please do a work. And he's like, I've done the work. I need y'all to go do a work. I need some hands and feet and some eyes and ears and elbows and back of the knees. And I need toes. I need, I need some organ. I need these things that start happening. I'm telling you, if we get this, everything changes. If we just get this. So what does this mean? It means this. He loved you before he ever saw you. He chose you even in your mess. He gave his life for you. Then he gave his life to you. Then he made you a part of his body. And he gave you his power. He gave you his authority. He gives you his encouragement so that we can fulfill the work of God in the earth. Now I want to ask you something. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? (laughs) Well, do I have to? Quit saying that. You already messed up by asking that question. Do I get to? Do I get to be a part of this body? And the answer is yes. How many received that word this morning? Come on, do you receive it today? Come on, just pull that in. Come on, pull that in deep.